Hi everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Amer Jandali, founder of Future Meets Present. Future Meets Present is what Amer describes as a combination of Al Gore meets Skrillex meets Odeo, the global design consultancy. And how that manifests in real life is this holding company of sorts that spearheads a number of projects, both entertainment, maybe events in nature, or product in nature, that serve his broader mission of sustainability. And I want to give one distinct shout out for one of those initiatives. It's an event happening this Friday, Marketplace of the Future. It's an event that he's been hosting for the last few years. It's the closing event for Climate Week New York City. Imagine the World Fair meets climate, where we have a chance to see what the future could look like in 2050, right? Imagine a company like Pildora, right? It's a, it's a company that creates this zero waste fabric made from leftover milk, turning milk into silk, or just salad, creating a digital representation of what their restaurant might look like in 30 years. So what you can expect as an attendee is the frontier inventions and projects that are happening on the edges of climate startups, right? All these amazing projects that are working on solving distinct parts of the climate problem set. So again, I just want to give a really clear shout out to Marketplace of the Future. Um, If you're around for a few hours this Friday, it's totally online. It's a complete reinvention. And what I think is what the future of conferences will look like. And you can check that out at marketplaceofthefuture.com. And in addition to that, Amer and I will discuss how his career starts as the opening DJ for LMFAO and how that chapter leads to him starting Future Meets Present. The different projects that he's working on from physical products like Bracelet Tote to this event that I discussed, Marketplace of the Future. And lastly, the big idea sitting in his idea graveyard. Folks, this is such a fun conversation. Thank you so much, Amer, for coming on. And I hope you enjoy this interview with Amer Jandali, founder of Future Meets Present. Amer, welcome to the show. Oh, here we are. Oh, I can see my little, <laughs> I can see my little sound. Uh, what is it? The, the sound waves. The sound waves. Yeah, this is nice. I love it. Uh, Amer, we have a lot to cover today, uh, especially with your big event happening next week. Actually, by the time this drops, this week. Mm. But let's start with the high level. You're the founder of Future Meets Present. Mm-hmm. What is Future Meets Present? What is Future Meets Present? If Okay, so I've gone through multiple little taglines, if you will quick ways to summarize this. And if anyone listening is familiar with the design world, familiar with a a company called IDEO, it's a multidisciplinary design company. They design products and and services. Um, Imagine if IDEO as a design company was ran by Al Gore and Skrillex. That is amazing. (laughs) Dude, that's the mix right there. That's the move. That's the style. (laughs) I got to tell you, I don't know why, for whatever reason, my mind imagined Al Gore rocking this DJ set 
Yeah. Headphones and all. No longer suited up. I feel like every time I see him, he's suited up. Just playing some Afro Jack or something. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's it. That's it. Uh, you got it. That's amazing. It's it's funny. I went down a pretty long IDEO wormhole yesterday. I just mm. discovered Open IDEO, which if are you familiar with their like open challenge network oh yeah actually they have an active beyond the bag challenge right now and my Uh application is in progress as we speak no i'm totally with you on that Mm -hmm. okay rock on all right so amir we have a lot to dive into today let's start with your background first just to give people some context great around how you jumped into the category what were you doing before Future Meets Present? And then what was the eureka moment or some culmination of events that said, you know what, this is what I need to focus on? Yeah, we can connect those dots. Absolutely. So the reason I mentioned that trifecta there, IDEO, Al Gore, and then Skrillex is the the inspiration area, or I guess the launch pad of your question right now. So before I got into anything that we're talking about, I'm originally from New Mexico, from a town called Las Cruces. Cruces is a super great place in southern New Mexico. It's about 30 minutes away from the Texas border. Another 10 minutes, you're in Mexico. Really great. That's where I was born and raised. And I spent a good part of my college years, or I started in high school, and then a good part of my college years DJing house parties for my friends. And that eventually transitioned and became a full-time career in nightlife. The, I'm trying to think, the, the first Saturday after I submitted my last final exam in college, I opened for LMFAO. What? That was a, a breakout gig. <laughs> yeah, it was super cool. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that happened. It was, a, it was just a culmination of a series of just DJing a bunch of house parties for friends just because it was super fun. And then eventually one of those friends happened to be a nightclub promoter and organized this event. So anyway, that kind of happened as soon as I finished college. I opened for LMFAO and that launched this nightclub career, career in nightlife. So I DJed for four and a half years between New Mexico and Texas, sometimes in Arizona, sometimes even in Mexico. And yeah, that was the base layer that would lead to everything else that I'm doing right now. Okay, so... I was not anticipating (laughs) that at all. For the listeners, we didn't. I didn't give Pete any background on this, so we're like, this is (laughs) super cold cut, super fresh, right? How do you go from four years of DJing to what I see here as an account executive at Ogilvy and Mather? Mm, Yo, that's hilarious! Yeah, (laughs) forgot about that too. Oh my gosh. So the the DJ career was really great. It was it allowed me a platform to do what I truly love. It's actually it's funny too, Pete. It's not it's never really been so much about the music for me. I wouldn't say that I have the deepest record collection or or anything like that. There's so many people back in the scene that were just actually way more passionate about the music. It was always really about the people for me. I think the biggest thing that I loved was being on stage so that I could look over and make sure people were dancing, make sure people having a good time. Like I always had my, when you see DJs um, playing, sometimes they have their laptop with them. Mm -hmm. Mine was always to the left. And I just never wanted anything between me and people. And 
play this music and I would make these remixes of, I don't know, like I have a Mulan remix that I made, I don't know, eight years ago or something. Yo. Yeah, it's so dope. I think you're gonna love it. I'll send it to you right after this. It's Be a Man. I like turned that into a house track. And so I would play these remixes because I wanted people to just exactly what you're saying right now. Oh, what is this crazy? What is he? I wanted just that sense of camaraderie. So for me, it was always about the people. And DJing gave me that platform. It was a a place for me to connect in and inside the club and outside of the club, which was really great. I didn't realize how influential it would end up being because the war in Syria started around the time that my DJ career was taking off. And my family's originally from Syria. So uh-huh. it was a platform for me to raise awareness about that. Wow. Quick uh, footnote. I put a, a story up yesterday about my Mount Rushmore for Disney movie soundtracks. And the OG Mulan took number one for me. It is by far my favorite soundtrack. And I'm actually quite disappointed. I don't know if you saw the new one. There was no music in any of the movie. Yes, they had the Christina Aguilera in the outro credits, but it was like one of the most disappointing, like unmet needs of a Disney film I've seen, especially Mulan. Like Mulan, who has the best soundtrack. Seriously. Um, So how do you go from here? You've been doing this for four years. Are you... Also working as an account executive, do you stop? Why do you stop DJing? What's the, how does the one chapter close and the other chapter start? Yeah. I, and by the way, I just, I hear you on the Mulan thing. I, ha- I actually haven't watched it yet, but it's top. I'm like super excited. I'm gathering everybody's feedback on this and I, I can't wait to dive that back into that. <laughs> I swear. Yeah, I hear you on that. I'm going to let you know what I think after I watch it. <laughs> the transition there. Yeah. So that was. So DJing opened up the space for me to start promoting and being somewhat of a of an activist. And I think that set the soil for what happened on a night. I don't even remember what date it was. I think it was sometime in 2011. It was like three in the morning. And long story short, I watched this documentary. It was actually a documentary that I watched when I got home from the nightclub. 3.30 in the morning, I watched this documentary about plastic bags. And it just... It was just so, I'd say that was my first big heartbreak in a completely new domain. Like my heart had been broken before and for Syria, of course. But then when this documentary came along, it just showed me everything about plastic bags. And I think the real stark moment there was just the fact that I had never heard about plastic pollution. Like I was just in a bubble. I, I don't know. I just didn't, never, I never thought about it. So whenever I watched the documentary, it was really like a, what else is happening? It was like, oh crap, what else is going on in the world that I don't know about? There was just something about it that struck really deep. And so that was the, yeah, that was that breaking open of the head moment. Mm -hmm. And then that's what eventually led me to ask more questions and open up to what could be next past the DJ career. And that's when I started looking into grad school. And then (laughs) the job in Ogilvy came up because I wanted to get experience before going to grad school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's like a, a super windy path, but yeah, that's the high level. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of people have some type of eureka moment. It, and what I've seen, particularly in the world of climate, 
it, it tends to be less of an in real life experience. Yes, that's like the ongoing symptom that might be the tipping point, but there always seems to be this big awakening from some broader multimedia venture project, mm. one of Al Gore's projects, a documentary, or maybe even the daily news covering like some type of just astounding real life thing, like the garbage patch that people wouldn't even imagine is a real thing. Yeah. How, how do you then decide to translate this heartbreak into action? Is this the early innings of Future Meets Presence? Like, wh what do you do next to serve what I imagine is this need to participate in change? You're excellent. Super good way of, of describing it. I, I love it. It was, yeah, it started out, okay, I have to do something. And I, I started organizing. I never got to see this through because that's the time around the time I moved. But I started organizing. Um, actually, sorry, let me backtrack. I had a radio show at the time. And it was called Stuff You Don't Hear on the Radio. And I used to play remixes that my friends would make and just DJ edits of things that people wouldn't normally hear on the radio. So after I watched this documentary, I started talking about plastic bags on the show. I was like, Guys, I just watched this freaking documentary. What's going on here? Have you ever heard of phthalates? I'd never heard of phthalates. Sign on to the Hot 103 Facebook page and let me know what's going on. Let me know what's good. Let's have this discussion. What's going on? So it started out a little bit that way, and then the seeds germinated. Mm -hmm. And then it's funny. I made a vision board, Pete. I made a freaking vision board. I did. I put a. I made a vision board, and I cut up pictures of New York City, and I cut up pictures of like reusable bags. And I'm just like, I don't know. There's something here. I got. There's. If my DJ career is going to keep moving forward, eventually I'm going to leave Las Cruces. Mm -hmm. Why not just go to New York? And the thinking somehow wrapped into that was also grad school. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, okay, why don't I move to New York? I'll get my master's. I'll get my master's in, in branding. So then that way I could learn how to brand myself better as an artist, as a DJ. And I can work with brands from the back end to work on this plastic problem. Interesting. It, yeah, it was just, that's just the way that the ideas fell. Do you, you're going through grad school, you get your master's, obviously you have other, I would say quasi related or ancillary experience at Ogilvy, at Dopper. Then one day do you say, you know what, I don't want to do anything else besides this type of work, right? What, is there like some, was there some major breakthrough, like you got a project from a client and then you said, you know what, this is where I'm going to spend all of my time. Do you have this list of ideas and you say, it's enough waiting. Mm. I'm going to start going down the list one by one. Mm. Um, what is like that first thing you start working on that might later manifest as future meets present? Damn, these are such good questions. God bless. I swear. And I, I don't know. I hear, I hope whoever's listening and even for me right now, as you're asking these questions and I'm, and answering them. What's coming to mind for me is Steve Jobs quote and how he says that the dots connect backwards. Mm -hmm. It's funny, like you can consider any moment to be that first moment, but there always is one tipping point. There always is one inflection point 
in the story at which things start to take form. Um, and I think for me, that was eventually when I made it back to grad school. So actually just to, so I ended up not going to the branding program. The branding program, I flew out here to New York to, for an interview, but they requested that I have a year of marketing experience before being accepted into the program. So that was the catch there. Like I actually came to New York and, and went to an open house and interviewed and everything. The director at the time, she was like, hey, you're background's super cool. We would like, we prefer you to have some more marketing experience before you come into the program. If you do a year from now, you're totally in. And so that's why I ended up moving to Saudi Arabia to work for Ogilvy to get that year of experience to come back to grad school. Got it. So there's that. While I'm in Saudi, I learn about another program, not branding, but called the design for social innovation program. And this is super cool that I'd even just, I'm very happy to just talk about, just let people know this exists. It's, it's a two-year grad school program at SVA that teaches design thinking applied to social issues. And that seemed to be a lot more fitting for what I wanted to do. And I learned about it while I was away. I was still planning to go to the branding program. Mm -hmm. But then this program came up, it just dropped into my email. I, I got one of their newsletters or something. Ended up switching and applying to that. And so... Long story short, chose that one over branding. And then in school, this is now getting to the answer of your question. We had a shop class. And in our shop class, our assignment was to design a tool to solve a social issue. And so I didn't know what to design. My first idea was a sanitary doormat, like a doormat that would sanitize your shoes as well as dust them off. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I was just gonna, what I was just thinking about different things. And then yeah. I had a couple other ideas. And then finally, my friend Lawrence, Amir, didn't you come here to do something about plastic bags? Like, why do you, what? And I'm like, yeah, oh my God. You're, so then in this moment, I, it just dropped into my head is there's really no other way I could say it. But I was looking down at my wrists and I always wear, I always wore those Livestrong bracelets. If you look back at any of my DJ pictures, you'll always see that I had these rubber bracelets around my wrist. And I looked at my wrist and I had all these bracelets on and I didn't have anything that said bag or reusable bag, or I just didn't have any symbol of reusability. Uh -huh. And I wanted something, I wanted a bag around my wrist and I wanted a bracelet. I wanted a tote. I wanted a bracelet tote. I wanted one. Okay. And that is, okay. First of all, I, I think, I mean, obviously <laughs> I've seen this before the last time we talked, but maybe paint a picture for what this looks like and then what it takes to create a prototype <laughs> yeah. of this. Yeah, right. Yeah, seriously. Th okay, this is probably my favorite part of talking about it whenever I share the origin story of this thing because, okay, so what I had imagined in my mind's eye at the time, think of like, I was thinking about is just like a bandana wrapped around your wrist or like the skinny part of a tie. And I saw that it was it had some sort of a tribal print. It was blue and it was white and it looked like it, I got it from a maker's market, something, I don't know, it just looked like that. And then somehow in my mind's eye, I saw that it unfolded and turned into a shopping bag. And what? it just, I just saw it in my head and then I Googled it and I didn't find anything. I didn't find any bracelet, tote bag, wrist bag, wearable bag, wrappable bag didn't exist. And it was like, okay, this is, I have to do this. 
got to make this. So then for class, I made a small prototype, learned to, tried to learn to sew. It was awful. Made a couple of small prototypes. My early bags were just barely big enough to fit. I don't know, a small carton of eggs or something like a six pack of eggs. It was like, that was the size of my first one. Ended up continuing to build off of it. And one of my first prototypes, what I'm really talking about is it was just a, literally just a plastic bag wrapped around my wrist, taped around my wrist. I just taped a plastic bag around my wrist for like a week just to see what would that experience be like. And I didn't know anything about experience design or prototyping at the time. I was just like, all right, I don't know. Let me just start with something. And that's the def definitely the biggest thing that I would encourage. I actually co-taught social design at Parsons last semester with a good friend of mine named Chelsea. And we took six groups of students from coming up with pain points in their lives to designing prototypes. And that was my favorite part about encouraging them to, to start testing things. I was like, guys, my first bag was plastic bag wrapped around my wrist. Just do whatever you need to do to start getting your idea out of your head. And it really is super valuable to think that way. So that's how it started. That is so crazy. All right, so I'm on the site now and I can see that it looks like the Kickstarter is in development. Where? What is the current state of Bracelet Tote? And what do you think is the roadmap or timeline for now introducing this to the world? Yeah, super good questions. It's been coming out next month for the past like four years, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the nature of the game, dude. <laughs> so... It's been a long time to get all the pieces in place. I just super underestimated what that uh, development cycle would look like. Because I also, it's very important to me that I introduce a product to the world that's made in a way that aligns with my values. So it's an, entirely made out of recycled materials. The bag itself is a 100% recycled nylon, which has a blue sign certification. I didn't know what that was at the time. But so it's recycled nylon and then the exterior is entirely made out of fabric scraps and it's manufactured locally or domestically anyway in Virginia. So it took a long time to be able to get that. I tested more than 100 different types of nylons for check their certifications, check the durability. It's also super duper thin, the material, and it has to be because I don't want it to be too bulky around your wrist. And it took me a long time to find a certified recycled ultra thin nylon. So if anyone listening is aware, knows anything about fabrics, this is a 10 denier nylon. So a typical windbreaker jacket might be like, I don't know. So Uniqlo has their super thin down jackets. Mm -hmm. those, mm -hmm. And the shell of that down jacket is, I don't know, probably like 50 denier. And so the one that I'm using is 10. That is like microscopically thin. Super, yeah, it's very thin and it's super buttery. So it's really hard to sew. And it took me a long time to find a factory that would want to take this project on. So long story short, I was actually prepared to launch earlier this year in March because New York City banned plastic bags in March. So that was my target date. And I had mailed 20 bags out to my first users the week before. And then that's when the pandemic became a real thing here in New York City. So I stopped making bags temporarily and I shifted to making masks. Because I would imagine, all right, so I, I want to unpack two things. First on the bags, because I think 
the, the interesting thing with the mask is I'm sure sub, there's the work that you put into the supply chain could be transitioned quite nicely over to face masks. But on the bags, if we fast forward to today, I can speak to a recent anecdote. My fiance and I were grocery shopping at Trader Joe's and we always bring our own bags and we went to go check out and the cashier said, hey, we're going to enter you into a raffle mm. to win $100. I'm like, oh, why? You brought your own bags. And we, we had no idea this existed, but Trader Joe's actually rewards customers for bringing their own recycled bags. And it's it took the backseat over the last six months because of what's going on. But now that they're starting to re to rebag personally, right? Because they could they weren't allowed to do that for a while. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see now big industry trying to actively encourage customers to bring their own stuff, whether it's by the downward pressure or gravity of legislation or the goodwill of higher ups. What do you think is the mm. timeline for reintroducing bracelet tote? And then on the face mask thing, what is the status of that project and how much were you able to carry over from the work you put in to bracelet tote? It was a really seamless transition, actually. I had emailed my factory. Her name is Sharon, and she's in Virginia. Super great. And I just emailed Sharon in the middle of the night, um, like March 10th or something. I was like, Sharon, why don't we start making masks? Do you, and, and she goes, actually, Mira, I'm like one step ahead of you. I started making them for our city councilmen and all this kind of stuff. Turns out that Sharon was a nurse for 25 years before she got into garment manufacturing. Wow. So, yeah, that was super duper clutch. And, and it was great. And actually, it let me start um, actually launching an e-commerce site. So I told her just, okay, I, make your masks. Do you mind if I increase the, can I pay you 25 cents extra and can you drop ship for me? And she said, yeah, absolutely. So I hired an intern and we just started taking mask orders online. We would send her the, what's it called? The, oh, we would send her digital shipping labels. She would print them out and then it was just totally automated. So that was really great. So now that same e-commerce infrastructure, I can just carry over and start with my bags. So what is the, is, because I know I, for example, my fiance's sister creates these little lanyards, like really pretty lanyards made from beads that you can attach to your mask and wear around your neck. I know Etsy put out in their latest quarterly statement, talked about how masks are one of the, uh, naturally, the highest velocity selling product, but also volume selling product in all categories of selling on their platform this year. Mm. So have you found that to be true for your face mask? Is this this like a legitimate business you hope to scale up? What do you think is like the goal there? And then at which point do you shift focus back to bracelet tote or Mm. just look to support both of them and operate both of them? Super awesome questions. And no, my first answer is no, I don't want to be scaling up and making masks. I don't think that's going to be something that's a core part of my offering. But what mm-hmm. is interesting and what is consistent about these business models or about these two projects is the business model. 
And that also ties into your very first question and how we describe future meets present. As a design company, not so much a manufacturing company, uh, and I'm not even so much in the bag business, to be honest. It's actually just, can we use waste as a resource? Can we design a business model to be regenerative from the start? So the masks that we were making, my bags are made entirely out of recycled materials. We've covered that. I couldn't get that for the masks because of health and safety concerns. So she was using new materials for that, which is fine. With the masks, what we did is we started partnering with trees.org. So we have tree planting for every mask that's sold. And that's a model that is starting to become a lot more popular now. And it, I really want to emphasize how accessible that is. And it's, can we build a business model where we're selling a product that people need, donating portions of the profits, and planting a tree at the same time? And if it's also made out of recycled materials, then that's like a quadruple bottom line. So you look and as your profits are going up, so is the amount of money you're donating. So is the amount of trees that you're planting. So is the amount of waste that you're diverting. And that's what I was most interested in, is developing that core business model at the beginning. And with the masks, it was never about making money. It was about, can I just not lose money? Can I just have something that sustains itself? Can this just carry its own self, fly with its own wings? And the answer is yes, totally. So that just boosted my rockets big time. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say the second you decide that Bracelet Tote officially hits the green light, whether it's the Kickstarter or an alternative launching approach, please count my uh, fiance and I for, for two Bracelet Totes. <laughs> He's sick. Um, this, yeah. this is so dope. You know um, what? Actually, I wanted to, and I, I missed the timing on this, but I wanted to send you some that you, so you would have by the time of this recording, but it just, I didn't get a chance to. So you know what? I got you. Don't worry about it. Oh, man. Yeah. So... The core reason why I wanted to have you on the show is for actually how we cross paths initially. Mm. And to everyone listening, you should follow Amir's approach to willing things into existence. Mm. Uh, I think, Amir, you and I met over, I think it was Instagram DM. Just yeah. shout, shout <laughs> yeah. DM, hey, let's talk. I'm, I'm producing this event for Climate Week, New York City. And that was that. It was that simple. Just a simple cold message. For the listeners, let's talk about your event that's kicking off this Friday, Marketplace of the Future. Mm. Briefly, what is this event and how did you come to start it? Okay. So that it was very much that. Very much. I started listening to your podcast, uh, I think a few months ago. Lillian was the first episode I heard. And then, yes, yeah, several others, that, others after that. And I was like, yo, this guy is killing. I love it. So everything, like if I were to start a podcast, it would be this. And I just love, <laughs> I swear, even just as a quick side note, like I just really appreciate your ears and I appreciate your just attention to the story and the intention behind putting all of this together. It's just so fantastic. And that's what really gravitated me towards um just following you as a person and then also this podcast. And I just can't believe I'm on it right now. <laughs> so this is pretty, <laughs> oh, it's man. so cool, Thank man. You. Yeah. So high five. Thank you very much for what you're doing for real. Thank you, man. And so I listened to it and I, I reached out to you and yeah, it, in the wake of this emerging project called the marketplace of the future. So what we're talking about here, marketplace of the future, imagine a world's fair of sustainability. 
And it was actually Sandra, who someone I know that you've interviewed before from Just Salad. And in a correspondence with her, she's seeing me on someone else in an email. She referred to it as the World's Fair of Sustainability. And I'm like, I've never said it that succinctly before. So thanks to her, it's the World's Fair of Sustainability. Wow. Uh, yeah. And it's, that's the, the frame of it. And so the uh-huh. thinking is, in the future, all organizations are going to be working for people on planet. And then so those companies right now are seedlings. That's the way that I, and what would it look like if we brought all these companies together as a snapshot of the future? That's the marketplace of the future. Wow. And for the people who are unfamiliar, so every year there's this big kind of series of events that gravitate around this notion of climate. What's going on? what solutions are being engineered and brought into existence. And it it culminates over a week, which will be next week, typically in person, right? At a convention center, at different Mm. offices throughout the city. And obviously that's not going to happen this year. So Marketplace of the Future is on there's event. It's the closing event happening this Friday and on September 25th. And so, Amir, for a potential attendee of this event, mm-hmm. and I don't want to tease it because I'll tell you guys, when I got a teaser of what the experience is, it's unlike anything I've experienced online before ever. But for a potential attendee, what could they anticipate from Marketplace of the Future? What does the experience feel like? And then what are the types of activities speakers, et cetera, that an attendee can expect in this event? If you're an attendee on the 25th of September and you jump onto marketplaceofthefuture.com, you will see a frame where you can click in and be transported into an online, basically an online virtual world that resembles like old school Zelda or Mario. And when you're in this world, you have a tiny avatar and you can walk around. And instead of walking into a hut to see Yoshi or to see the guy who's going to give you the key to go into the next level or something, you walk around this map and then you can walk up to a table and interact with a brand that is using sequestered air carbon to make pens and earrings. You can walk over to the next table next to it and speak to a brand that is restoring coral reefs. You can walk over to something that looks like a mini boutique and talk to a brand that's making clothing out of milk. All of these companies that are doing things with recycled materials, with sustainable supply chains, with renewable energy, with diverting food waste, et cetera, all of these companies, we have representation of climate solutions across the spectrum as little characters, little people in the map that you can walk up and talk to. So it's an interactive platform where you can talk to a brand. Imagine Zelda meets Zoom. So you walk up to a person and then once you get up close to them, their camera appears on the screen and then you can talk to them just as if you were talking to them on Zoom. And then you can just navigate your little avatar away and just, all right, cool. Thank you. Nice to meet you. I'll follow you on Instagram. Thank you very much, Coral Vita. I appreciate what you guys are working (laughs) on later. I'm going to go talk to Sky Baron over here. That's the experience. And I just want to echo that 
quickly. And I'll tell you, Amir is not paying me for this, so I'm I am not <laughs> biased anyway. So there's two, in my reason, in my opinion, two reasons why you should spend a few hours of this Friday in marketplace of the future. The first of which is a peek into what the future of virtual conferences and events mm. will look like. At the very least, mm-hmm. when I say that it's unlike an experience you've had before, I, I truly mean that. You're moving your little avatar around your little Zelda and you're walking through a universe, this campus, literally like through up and down arrows, left and right arrows. The map itself is beautiful. You can see, let's say you're going to one of the worlds. It opens up just salads. Wait, I don't know if I can tease this, but let's say- Totally um, tease it. Okay. So there's, there's going to be something really interesting that's related to just salad. Restaurants exist today in a certain form. What would they look like in 10, 15 years? And you'll get to experience this. And then inside of these different virtual rooms, you can walk up to people, talk to them as their video comes up on their screen, like actually talk to them. You can go up to different tables and learn information. You could sit in the audience and listen to panels of speakers. So that is uh, why you should do it, point number one. And point number two is there are very few opportunities that you get to learn about all of the amazing solutions across the climate problem set being brought Mm. into life in a single space in just a few, either an hour or a couple hours of time, whatever, whatever works for your schedule. But if you want to just get your learning curve up a little bit mm-hmm. more and see the amazing work being done, it's, you can't beat it. So that's one and two. I'm talking too much. Let me pass the torch back to you. What are some of the ex- specific panels, speakers, companies that we can expect to see at the marketplace of the future? Yeah. Super awesome. Great. Super good setup, man. Thank you. That was really nice. Even just for having shown it to you for the time that we did, I think you really captured it. That's awesome. I want to shout out the platform itself. It's called Gather. And the website is called gather.town. And they've been super great. I found them um, online back in April and I've been corresponding with this team. They're these super cool guys in California. And they've just been super supportive of the project and they we're working with them on on developing this together. So it's been really nice. That's that definitely to your point gonna be the future of conferencing. And we're just taking it to they didn't ever suspect that anyone would be using it in this type of an application. So I also have a team of amazing architects online uh, that are building this online world, excuse me, that I also want to shout out. I just really appreciate Chris and Jackson and Seraphim and Majid and Dakota and absolutely killing it. So thank you guys for, if you're listening to this, you guys have been murdering it. I appreciate you so, so much. And so together we built out this world and I'm really excited about showing off. Yeah. Like just salad is going to be there. We're building a restaurant of the future where you can see their carbon menus, which you're going to be learning about soon in another episode on, of this podcast. One of our sponsors is called Pildora and she is an online retail shop for 100 sustainable fashion designers. And one of them I had mentioned earlier uses this type of a fermentation process to turn milk into silk. 
And what? it's really wonderful. And it's antibac- excuse me, antibacterial and has all these really great properties. And the shirt just looks super soft. And so Pildora represents 100 brands that are doing interesting things like this. And they're one of our supporting sponsors as well. I'm excited to bring back a brand called Group Hug. And her name is Crystal. She was one of our vendors two years ago at the marketplace. She makes these wonderful, imagine a picture frame, but it's a solar panel instead of a photograph. And you just hang it in your window and it just collects sunlight and charges your phone. She approached us two years ago. She barely had a prototype. And she's like, I don't have anything really to sell. Can I still show up at the marketplace? And I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. Actually, we encourage that. Get your emails, show your people, start getting signups on your Instagram and everything. And last year, she came back again for the third year of the marketplace. And then earlier this year, she was on Shark Tank. So she's been blowing up and she's going to come back again with us for the third year in a row. The Star at Lehigh building is also one of our sponsors and supporters. They've been the host of this event for the past three years. And this is a building in West Chelsea that I'm a super big fan of. It's, it was built in the early 1900s and it was designed by the same architects as the Empire State Building. This building is the 10th largest building in New York City, 2.3 million square feet, and 4,500 people used to work in there every day. Uh, The building management replaced eight miles worth of windows to conserve energy. They offered free composting to all of their tenants building-wide. They have a rooftop uh, garden on the roof where they have bees and on-site composting. And it's just a testament to see what can happen with an old building with the right intentions. So we built the Star at Lehigh building in the map. You can walk up to it, see a little tiny mini building, walk into the lobby, There's an elevator bank. You can go up to the Center for Social Innovation, which is my office. You can go up to the west wing rooftop, right wing rooftop, and you can see wind turbines on the roof. Everything that we're doing here is imagining what is the best case scenario of 2050. I encourage anyone I'm talking to, whether it's a sponsor or a partner or a brand, think about, like when I talked to Sandra from Just Salad, think about what do you want your restaurants to look like in 30 years? Are you growing food from your ceilings? Are you composting on site? Do you have a little mini farm inside in the corner? Are your, what do your menus look like? What kind of communication are you sharing with your customers? That's what we're projecting. That those projections are what we're bringing forth in the event. And some of the speakers you can expect to see, I'm really excited about Tom Zaki. He's the founder of TerraCycle and Loop. So I know you had TerraCycle on earlier, right? Uh-huh. Love him. And yeah, he's a super beast. And then Blue Land is another brand that I'm super excited about. And we have their co-founder, Sarah. She's going to be on one of our panels. Blue Land, yeah. Blue Land have you talked to them yet? Uh, they're episode number one. Are you serious? Blue Land was number one? Yeah. Dude, deep cuts right now, Pete. Oh, yeah. Love it, dude. So sick. She's going to be on. And yeah, we just have a whole bunch of other amazing speakers. And you can see all of it on marketplaceofthefuture.com. Uh, Amir, I think you just gave me the title of the episode, Imagining the World in 2050 or something. I, I don't know what it, Yo, the soundbite is yet, but oh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. So what I want to do before segueing to the last few questions is just give a quick crash course or how-to for aspiring event organizers. And I, I want to caveat that by saying I know that event organizing 
literally took the biggest curveball of his existence this mm. year. So whatever the playbook was before then, it's got to be totally different going forward. But let's assume the, the year is 2019 and you're just getting your, you, you have this inkling of an idea for Marketplace of the Future. You want to start it. How, how do you start? What is the highest impact to do that you focus on? Is it speakers? Is it a venue? Like, how, how do you go about starting an event or conference mm. around a topic or area that you care about? That's such a fantastic question. Because I never considered myself an event organizer as much as I was involved in events as a DJ, I would just show up with my music. What I would say is this came up to me one time when I was thinking about redesigning the trash room in my building to make it easier for my supers. I was looking at the trash room. I opened the closet door and it was a mess. And... And I started visualizing what kind of an experience this would be like for them. If they were to open up that closet door and actually it looked nice and it smelled good and they had nice categorized bins. And then I walked away from that experience thinking about what kind of sketches I wanted to create or what I wanted to create for the super in my building. And something that came up for me that in that moment was seek the subtlest form of life. Seek the subtlest form of creativity. And whatever that early spark is, the catalyst, and just trust that's enough. Follow it. In the origins of this project in 2017, when I was first thinking about the marketplace of the future, the first thing was my relationship with the building management. Mm -hmm. And that was that first burst, that starburst, if you will, that first burst of life. And thinking about the potential of having an event on the roof, a rooftop in West Chelsea in Manhattan. What the hell? So I kind of made it up. I, t- I talked to him at the time. His name was Mitch, Mitchell Grant. He's an angel walking among men. He's so freaking dope. I love this, this human being so much. It's like, Mitch, Climate Week is coming up in a couple of months. What if we had a party on the roof? <laughs> And he needs no convincing because he's the person that built the rooftop garden. And he said, yeah, I love it. And then from there, it was like, okay, I'm in the startup world in New York City. I know a few startups. What if I just reach out and just ask if they want to come table for free? And what if we just put an event up on New York City, Climate Week's New York, Climate Week New York City's website? And slowly, it just started taking form. Some brands just kept saying yes. And every brand that said yes just continued to increase that subtle form of life. That incre- that starburst just became expanded more and more every time someone said yes. And then eventually it was like talking to this promo partner that has an email list of 10,000 people. And, and they say, yeah, like we'd be down to promote it. I'm like, oh my God, okay. And <laughs> you apply to have it listed on the Climate Week website and they approve your application. And it's suddenly on the thing. And it's like all of these things just it slowly starts taking on a life of its own. And that's the one thing that I will share to anyone listening, whether you have started an entrepreneurial venture or you're seeking to start one, trust that it will take on a life of its own. And it might seem scary at first because it might feel like things are losing control. But in fact, that is exactly what's supposed to happen because when it takes on a life of its own, you can just then nurture it and guide it. And then it just grows and other people can support it because it takes a village to raise a child. And that's what it's not. That is what is 100% 
turned into this year. We went from two people working on it in 2017 to three people in 2018, four people in 2019, and now there's 15 people working on it this year. And it's just surreal, man. It's just so freaking cool. It's just beautiful, and I love it. Amara, everything you just said is better than I could ever say, <laughs> but also I, I want to echo your sentiment. And it's one of those things what I don't want to get super philosophical, but this idea of wisdom. The best way to understand, I think, what wisdom means in retrospect is for me personally, the first time I understood what wisdom is was when I realized that the advice I was giving to my younger brothers mm. wasn't being implemented. It was being received but not implemented. And the clear, the clear hindsight 2020 is I did the same thing. I'm a kid. My parents or my older siblings are giving me advice. I shake it off as, no, I live in a different world. I know, I'm, I know exactly what I need to do. And you just – you don't get it until you live it. And I feel like you hit it on the head when it comes to entrepreneurial ventures. You can listen to the advice. You can read the books. You can you know, read the tweets. But it's not something that sticks and you understand until you take the leap and experience it and mm. live it yourself. But to echo you, and I don't want to – because that sounds semi-somber – the snowball effect is real. It's so real. So real. I love the starburst analogy you made. If there's any ounce of life, just it will build on mm. top of itself. You just got to trust the process. Mm. Chaos is just a natural part of the journey. I want to segue before I keep rambling on to my favorite part of every interview, and it's this notion of the idea graveyard, right? Oh yeah, I've heard and, you talk about this. Yeah, right. And I think, you know, I I I know that your list has got to be super long, but in just the context of this interview, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about maybe one or two ideas that you would love to work on if you had the time to do. So if marketplace of the future wasn't your obsession. And you didn't have all these other projects going on. What are one or two other ideas you'd love to go after, but at the moment mm. are just rotting away in your idea graveyard? That's such an interesting question. I can't wait till I can interview you someday. I swear to God, because I want to ask you, where did you, I, I need to know the origin story behind this podcast, behind this path that you're on and where you came up with this idea. This question, <laughs> I swear. Someday you can expect to see what it looks like when the future meets podcast. That's a thing. That's a thing. <laughs> that, that's, in the, that's in the oven somewhere. Uh-huh. It's all in that context. It's all in the future meets blank. Future meets present as the umbrella contextual relationship to these ideas. Future meets party is one that I'm super duper stoked about. Imagine... So we worked with last year, Square Roots. I think, did you mm-hmm. talk to Square Roots already? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So for listeners that may have not caught that episode, imagine shipping containers that are converted into agrotech farms. And I was talking with 
uh, someone from Square Roots last year after Marketplace. And, hey, what about Future Meets Party? This idea that I want to that I want to launch. And, and they're like, oh, cool. Yeah. What if we put a bunch of shipping containers together and had a party around them and people's entry fee was a bag of clothes that they would donate, whatever. Like, what are, what are all the touch points that an event can be regenerative aside from the marketplace of the future, but are actually more of a party. And that's where the DJ life can start coming back. So that's one that is going to be in the queue. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I think that because I saw it on your site and I wanted to, to add, I'm, I'm happy that you brought it up. I think what I want to do, because I want to make sure that people fully understand the call to action here, I, I want to roll the red carpet. Are there any specific call to actions, anything that you want to leave with our listeners about the marketplace, the upcoming event, anything that you want to leave with our listeners, Amer, the floor is yours. Sure. You asked earlier when the release of Bracelet Toad is happening. And that is ongoing from now till the end of the year. It's going to be slowly released in small batches. I have an inventory of 60 right now. And those are ready for sale. And eventually that's going to lead up to a Kickstarter. So you can sign up for the Kickstarter on the site. Excuse me, it's bracelettote.co. So it's just the word bracelet and then O-T-E. So bracelet and tote, share a T. So bracelettote.co. And then the, yeah, the bright spot on the red carpet is to, to come to the marketplace. Definitely come to the marketplace. It's, it's a place where you can walk around and you can see solutions to climate change that are in their context. So it's not like you're at a trade show and you're just going booth to booth talking to a brand. But Crystal from Group Hug, for example, you're not going to just be talking to her behind the table. You're going to be talking to her by, behind a table in the middle of a digital solar farm. So the solutions, the brands live in their solution space, in their context. We're going to have a solar farm area, a wind farm area, a transportation zone. There's going to be an agriculture zone. There's going to be a lifestyle zone. There's going to be an opportunity to go to space. There's going to be an opportunity to go inside a submarine and be teleported underwater where you can see Coral Vita and Oceanic Global and brands like that are helping restore coral and cleaning the ocean. So you'll see the brands, you'll meet the people, you'll see them in their context. You'll learn about Project Drawdown which we're going to have information from Project Drawdown sprinkled throughout the map. You're going to be able to find Easter eggs like free solar-powered lights from Empowered. And you're going to be able to sign up to participate in this project as it grows. Since it's an online event, we're not, we don't have tables to rent. We don't have chairs to rent. We don't have security to hire. There's no a venue to decorate. We built it. It exists. And we're going to, the intention here is to have ongoing events throughout the year two large events, one in Climate Week and one during Earth Week, and then smaller events throughout the year. So if you walk into this event and you're looking around and you're like, oh, I also work in renewable energy, or I would love to work in renewable energy. I would like to attend a panel. I would like to do this. We can create it together. We're going to have little info tents, info booths sprinkled throughout the entire map with volunteers that are ready to take your information and we'll contact you after the event. We can collaborate together. We can do something. It's very much about the community growing and feeding it on itself. And I'm very much a fan of the prototype process and the iterative process. And I want to see how this does start taking a life of its own. Amer. Dude. This is (laughs) one of the best conversations I've had in a while. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much for just rocking out, (laughs) for making this morning so fun. 
dude, it was such a pleasure. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for helping, supporting, boosting the message and for everything that you're doing. This is so important. I, I, I know you just reached, I think, what are you at now? 10,000 subscribers? Now we actually just passed 22,000. 22,000? Yes. God bless, man. This is about to, <laughs> you're, it's about to be a quarter million really soon. What you're creating right now and oh. everything that we're talking about, dude, this is, this is the early stages of the internet. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. This is the early stages oh. of computing when the nerds were just in their garages in their little niche trade shows. This is that. And this is the oh. beginnings of it. I swear. Uh, what you're doing, man, I'm sending you big high fives. Oh, man. Thank you, man. And likewise, man, we'll have to do this again post-event mm -hmm. for a little recap and then maybe just a full episode of of jamming on ideas. I would love to do Hell that. Hell yeah. Sounds good. This is perfect. Right, Thank man. you so much, dude. Take care. Hey there. You made it to the outro. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much. We're actively casting for new guests on our show. So if you have a rock star founder or company in mind that's working on something cool, message me on Instagram at Peter A. Levin or email us, hello at ingothands.us. Thank you so much again and look forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday. <laughs>